2: Welcome to Squanderlust, a podcast about the emotional side of money, why our actions aren't always as good as our intentions and what we can do about it. I'm Martha Lawton. And I'm Alex Lemon. And we're your hosts. Today on Squanderlust, we have Jasper Lyons, startup founder, accelerator mentor, and until recently, senior teaching fellow at Royal Holloway University of London. Jasper is here to talk with us about the tricky question of putting a financial value on your time. Hey, Jasper.
3: Hey, Martha. Thanks (laughs) for inviting me on.
1: Good to have you. So Martha knows you from other areas of working life, but I don't know you at all. So can you tell me about your background and how you've got a perspective on what we're talking about today?
3: Yeah, sure. So uh, I've I've been a co-founder of three startups previously, usually as a technical co-founder. But when there's only three of you in the company, you end up getting involved in stuff that you wouldn't normally get involved in. So sales. Also, through the Ignite Accelerator, one of the accelerators I went through with the first company, I've been mentoring like a set of companies, 30 or 40 or so in the last couple of cohorts. And uh, one of the pieces of advice is that they should charge more, which has never failed to be good advice yet. But yeah, I've worked with, I think, about 30 startups and uh, mentored them in a variety of areas, some of which are marketing and pricing and such. So, And I've seen the results of those processes.
2: We are really excited to have you here. This is such a challenging question for so many people. As Alex and I are both freelancers, this is something we have come across ourselves. Yeah, done it a lot. Never satisfyingly. <laughs> it's it's definitely a tricky one. But we also want to poke a little bit at valuing your time when you are employed as well as self-employed. Because uh, I think employed people also need to think about this and don't always. Because they're just given a number.
3: Yeah, you're kind of like... I don't know, you're just in the system. It's a bit like school. It's the next stage and you just take what you're given kind of Mm -hmm. thing as long as it's slightly more than the last one. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I think it's easy, especially when you shift jobs to... That's the point where you think about it, but you don't necessarily think about it when you're, as you say, in a system
3: at that point. Yeah, exactly. I have a funny anecdote, I guess, about being an employed person and asking for your time. Um, My partner recently got a promotion, I guess. She finished her apprenticeship, which is doesn't pay amazingly well in the UK, but the company she was with paid pretty well. It was in data science. Uh, and on completing it, technically, she is not continuing at the company. It's a new role that she takes on because the contract formally ends, a new tr- contract is formed. But the company themselves actually approached it as a promotion, which meant a small bump in pay for someone who's just finished their apprenticeship in data science. She's done very well. And I was talking to her, I was like, "The market rate is like thirty two plus for this, and you're you're getting like significantly less than like one third of this they're not adding a huge amount so I, I, I and she was really uncomfortable with this because valuing herself was mm-hmm. really difficult and saying you know like i'm a valuable person like that's really hard that's really hard mm, to do yeah it is it's yeah. easier for me as a separate person to be like actually you're really valuable and you should mm. be asking for way more yeah. and i was a bit maybe a bit ballsy and i was like you should ask for way more and then she did and her manager pushed back and was like oh i need to justify it to hr and then took it to hr and they were like yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> that's fine great right mm. so yeah and that i guess that's an example of just like the thing that would have kept her where she was is actually the presumptions of everyone around her including her own manager about like what's okay but how companies are okay with moving things etc your hr department is probably going to be much more versed on what people are actually worth and you know and there'll be a budget for what people can afford especially in a larger company um so uh, there's a guy called patrick mckenzie on the internet yes on the yellow website or the orange site that's it hacker news who um what was uh,
2: that name again?
3: Hack and Use.
2: Hack and Use, okay. Yeah,
3: it's a bit, It's uh. it's got a reputation. But, okay. But uh, there's, some, there's some good stuff on there. Like okay. anything, you have to dig, I guess. Okay. And it, um, pretty much his mantra is always just like charge more, uh-huh. which it equates to ask for more, I guess, mm-hmm. in the employed world.
2: Yeah. I think one of the things that I always think about when it comes to employees thinking about their time is that it's very easy to miss the additional costs to you as an employee, which you're very aware of as a self-employed person. You should be very aware of as a self-employed person. <laughs> like you know, Because you have to do your own taxes, you have to calculate your own costs. So you become much more familiar with the costs of your work to you mm-hmm. when you are self-employed. But as an employee, you don't necessarily think about, I have to buy these clothes that are appropriate for my work. I mm. have to launder those clothes or dry clean them. I have to have travel time i probably have a specific bag or container or briefcase or something that i take my stuff to work in Mm. i eat not in my house how do i do that how much time does it take for me to travel to my work and how does that affect my actual hourly wage yeah you know if if i'm walking 15 minutes down the road each day as opposed to commuting for an hour and a half across town
3: Mm. How much is that worth? How
2: much is that worth to me? Mm-hmm. Which is uncomfortable,
3: um, actually, to think about sometimes, because mm. it can feel a bit like, is it really okay to put a monetary value on those things? Mm. But it can
1: also, like, if you're already in it, feel uncomfortable because you feel like you've already lost, in a way, as well, Ooh. you know... You know, like, I should have I should have thought about this before and I haven't and now I'm stuck kind of thing. Yeah. Can be a bit of that too.
3: That's like, a, I guess, a bit of a sunk cost fallacy thing going mm, on there, yeah. isn't it? Like, because you don't think of your current, you kind of think of your current situation as immutable until some life event occurs and then you're like, oh, now it's going to change. When in reality, like, you know, the only thing that's between you and changing is like, proking the right people repeatedly Mm. (laughs) well i have to do my
1: usual thing of like call back to an episode towards the end of season two where we did a sunk cost fallacy we definitely did so we covered that if you want to know more about that yeah
3: it's my favorite fallacy (laughs) it is it's
2: great it's so useful so useful so let's come back we've just said and you just said perfectly in your anecdote that it's scary to try and put a value on your time so let's let's poke at that for a minute let's poke at that fear yeah it feels
3: like the logical next step right I guess because a lot of us, and this is a mass generalisation because it's not for everyone, but, like, a lot of us really have that little voice inside of our head that's like, are you really that Can you do that? Is that? Are you a bit of an imposter? Is this really you? Like, are you really worth that much? Mm -hmm. Which obviously, logically, is completely wrong because whatever, but it's still there and it, it nags at you. So when you... Ask for that significant bump in money. That's like putting a stamp on you that says, I believe I'm worth that much more. And mm. and that's actually, that's kind of hard to, to take on, especially if you're struggling with yourself, I mm. guess.
2: Yeah. Mm. I think there's a thing about, within that, about comparing your insides with other people's outsides. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. Everyone
3: else is like trying to project their best self. Yeah. And, yeah. And Everybody you're else living is with your worst so self.
1: confident and like they know what they're doing. And they said that thing in the meeting that I didn't think about, but <sighs> they thought about it. So it must be terrible. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. So yes. I'm just talking about myself then. <clears throat> that, that one. <laughs>
3: Why didn't I think of that?
2: Yeah. What else? What else is the fear? So there's the fear of maybe I'm not good enough for this. There's also other? people
3: saying no, rejection, you know, when you're scared of rejection, etc. cetera. Yeah. So mm-hmm. That's terrible. You've yeah up all of this stuff and hyped yourself up and you're like cool I want some more money and someone's like no <laughs> <laughs> I guess something that's really useful in that and has been talked about a lot mm. is like separating yourself from your work yeah and mm. that discussion is work and and that's a funny thing like I, t- I tell a lot of people having sat on the hiring side now as a hiring manager mm. and I know now that you know a CV is not a person like it doesn't represent an individual mm. and when you apply to a company and they say no like that's not a reflection on you. Like, it's a two-way street. You may not be right for them, and it, it doesn't necessarily do with the fact you can't do it. It's like, you know, and they may have found someone who suits their needs better.
2: Any other thoughts about...
3: Fear of valuing time.
2: Fear of valuing time, yeah. What other... Yeah, kind enemies? of meandered around a
3: bunch of stuff that's not really to do with it. So, um, well, I mean, it's tangentially to do so. But like, Yeah, yeah. I don't know, like... Uh, it's kind of unintuitive in itself, anyway. Like the like mm. the default human experience is like labor theory of value. You're like, I value the things that went into it, and therefore that is the value. But in reality, like value is much more, and price generally is not a reflection on you, um, and should really never be a reflection on you. Like it's a reflection on the value it provides to someone else. Mm. So it's much more to do with your customer base and. In this case, you know, the company hiring you, et cetera. The question shouldn't be like, what do you need to live? And a little bit more than that to be comfortable. The question should be like, how much value do you deliver to the company? And like, what discount are you willing to provide them on that value for your time? Because like, if you spend a day of your time with them and they make 50,000 pounds, like your time is worth some discounted value on that, Mm. right? Yeah, and, and that's really the way that it needs to be thought about. It's not, as much as it is, like, easy to think about in terms of, like, what does it cost me to go to work mm. and what does it cost me to do the thing, etc. Mm. Like, those things are inconsequential. If, if someone doesn't want to buy your thing, then it's worth nothing. Mm -hmm. if people want to buy your thing then it's worth a lot more and regardless of how much you put into it Mm -hmm. but I guess there is something that does need to be taken into account which is like economic viability which Mm. is like how many hours does it take to do the thing and build the thing etc so you really need two prices when you're thinking about something which is like how much will someone pay for it versus how much does it cost me to do Mm. and successful businesses are just a kind of arbitrage between making this number on the left Mm. How much will someone pay as big as possible, and the one number on the right of how much does it would cost me to do the thing as low as possible? If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, completely. I mean, there is like when you were talking earlier about the value, you know, the value of the work that you do, mm. and that needs to be a reflection of the value that whoever you're working for is getting for mm. your work in return. I guess in some situations that can be kind of easy to work out, but there's a lot of wiggly lines. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I've worked in a lot of situations where I come in as a kind of fill-in freelancer yeah. and you have no concept of how the rest of the business is running you've just come in been given a very specific thing to focus on and get that done and, you, do and you have no idea about the finances of the company the process involved the number of people who sometimes even who the actual client is yeah you just sort of know a name oh we're doing this for rob and you don't really know you know who is rob and who's what's he doing yeah so yeah it's like how do you sort of deal with the wiggly line factor
3: it, basically <laughs> <laughs> like so um I guess there's a nice heuristic on whether you're charging enough, right? Because the real question is like, how do, it's not like, how do you get more money? It's like, how do you know that you've reached the right price? Mm. And the heuristic for the right price is a little thing that I stole from Patrick McKenzie as well. Again, who you can tell, obviously, has been an influence on my approach to pricing and value, etc. And that people should be complaining, but still buying. And at that point, you've kind, you're have you in the right zone there because you're mm. maximizing the amount people are willing to pay for your time and they're having a discussion about it, thinking like, you know, this is expensive for a reason. But they're not just saying yes because yes is like this is a deal and you don't want to be a deal. You want to be like a considered purchase, if that makes sense. Mm. I mean, saying that you are a considered purchase sounds terrible, but the value you provide to someone, you want to be something that's like... They consider in their, in their process. They're not just like, yep, yeah, absolutely.
2: I like that. Let's pause for a little break here. And when we come back, I would like you to tell us about sneakers. Because you said some cool stuff about sneakers before yeah, I like discussing I doing this.
0: Cool. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything.
2: Telling us about valuing your time, he's going to tell us a cool thing about sneakers.
3: Uh, it's a bit contrived, so I can understand if people listening a bit like, "What is the point in this?" But like,
2: <laughs> I don't know. It
3: is important, and it does tell a story, even yeah. if it is like five lines. But the notion is like, let's say that I've got a pair of sneakers that I'm going to sell to you, and they're going to cost five pounds. What do you think about those sneakers?
1: Um, probably going to fall apart.
3: Cool. I've got another pair of sneakers. I'm gonna to sell to you. And they are five hundred pounds. And what do you think about those? Um, no. <laughs>
1: okay. I'm not even gonna think about them because I might like them and I can't afford them. All right. <laughs> Let's say like eighty quid. <laughs> See, I've got a really low price point. I was trying to
3: find something you'd say yes <laughs> to, do. otherwise we're just gonna go down and down slowly. I'm someone who shops
1: in the children's department so I can get like non
3: VAT so shoes. Lucky. I, love it. I yeah. It's so good.
2: Alex is probably not
1: but okay, so Come on, Alex.
2: But it's Play not about would you buy
3: it. It's about what do you think about it.
1: Okay, I mean, <laughs> I suppose sneakers is a hard one because I'm like, kids these days will pay a lot of money for sneakers. I mean, I th- I think they're overpriced. <laughs> is they that are. the right answer?
3: <laughs> kind of, yeah, yeah. But like, what do you what do you think? What are you guessing about the physical qualities of that?
1: They might be better, but they might not be because branding is also a thing.
3: Cool. yeah. I'm
1: not really very good at this game. Maybe you should have done it with
3: Mark. Well, it might have been. Maybe a house would be better. Like, if I was like, okay, we've got a house and it costs you, like, £50,000. What do you think about the house?
1: Um, it might be somewhere I don't want to live. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anything else? It's probably not got good transport links. Yeah. It definitely sounds like a fixer-upper to me. Yeah.
3: And what about, like, a million-pound house?
1: Um, I hope it's got an in and out drive. Um, <laughs> but it's probably... In some respects, nice. They're probably in a better area. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably bigger.
3: Mm. I guess, like, the the key thing here is the only information I've given you is the price. Mm. Yeah. Like, nothing else. And you've constructed this story entirely based. Obviously, it's contrived because the point Mm. of it was to do that. Mm. But, like, people do this stuff, right? You you look at the thing, you're like, oh, it costs one pound. It must be terrible, right? So, yeah, and then something expensive. You make some assumptions about it. Yeah, mm. we, we've we grown cynical in terms of like branding mm. and maybe fashion wasn't the best choice to do. Like
1: <laughs> I'm so cynical something, about fashion. That's okay. I mean, <laughs>
3: I mean you probably... Be good. Actually, I can tell you with good reason. So, yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> but I guess the, the thing in that is you're pretty quickly dismissive of the low one. Whereas mm-hmm. you've at least... Yeah. Even if you're not... Oh, my God, 500 quid. They must be amazing. Um, you're thinking, well, I kind of want to know why. Like, you're asking more questions about it.
3: But, like, are you going to be sentimental the about the £5 pair of sneakers? Mm. Are you going to think about throwing them away? Mm. You're not going to really worry that much. You just get another pair. Mm. yeah, And you don't want to be the £5 freelancer, right? Because <laughs> people are just going to throw you away. <laughs> mm. Yeah, really yeah, care. totally. You want to be yeah. the £500 pair because someone who can't afford you can't also look after you.
1: Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's very true. Because I think the thing with this is, like, when you're talking about freelancers. I mean, I have I have been the rejected £500 pair of trainers. Um, <laughs> Same. And it's just like, I still, I probably just overpriced it because I was coming out of the back of something else where I'd had more money and this was a different organisation and I was just like, oh, I need some money. Here's my price and I didn't get it, so I still don't have any money. But it is, yeah, it, the interesting thing with that is the way that your mind is like, well, why? And there's more, because what you really want to get is even if you're asking for quite a high price, you at least want them to come talk to you about it. Yes. So it does kind of drive that line of questioning of like, well, okay, they're quite pricey, but maybe there's some reasons why.
3: But like, so I guess something to think about is like, yeah, I didn't get the job, right? So I also charged for a couple of people. I was like, oh, yeah, this number. And they were like, yeah, no. Um, (laughs) But they don't walk away thinking, oh, just that it was too expensive. They're like, it's also probably good mm, yeah. if they can't afford it, mm, yeah. if that makes sense, in their mind. So it's not a negative impact on you. And if you were to have another relationship in the future where they were in a position to do that, they might mm. be like, well, let's talk to that person who was a bit more expensive since we have the budget now kind of thing.
2: Yes, mm. Oh, that would be nice. Yeah, that makes me think that feels good. That idea of somebody coming back later going, I've got the budget now, let's yeah. let's do something. That sounds, that sounds like purchaser. a nice place to be. Yeah. So I've,
3: I've literally been on the side with the money and been like... Well, we've got some money now. Why don't we go to someone who can actually, you know, isn't just a mate who's doing it for whatever. Let's pick someone who's really good. And so
2: Completely, completely, yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking about something else that you said before about you want to hit that sweet spot where you're not getting everybody, but you're getting most people saying yes, or at least enough people saying yes, but you're not necessarily hitting everybody.
3: So I love this in terms of startups because it's a bit more like Stark. But I guess it also, like, the same story gets told for freelancers, etc., and individuals. But, like, not all customers are good customers, I'm sure we have mm. come to realize. Mm-hmm. I certainly have gone through the process of working for people who I would like to have not worked for. And firing customers is a thing that we should exercise a lot, I mm. think, personally. But something interesting, especially in the kind of startup world that people have experienced, is if you have a cheap price, people expect a huge amount from you, but don't, value you very much so they'll Mm. be like i've got these problems i've got these issues can you do this for me will you do that for me etc your customer service goes way high and the cost Mm. of that customer service for providing that at such a low price is high whereas if you charge more you tend to work with people who are better and they require less service so you spend less time like pandering to their needs etc and they value you and your time because Mm. it costs a lot
2: yeah, thinking think about it from a customer perspective. When you're charging more to a customer, they are going to question whether they want to approach you about that small thing in case you charge them
3: more again for yeah. it. But I think it also, like, it's not just because once you've sent the message, I'm valuable to someone, mm. they don't necessarily always think about it in terms of, I mean, eventually they will think about it in terms of cost, but they'll think about it in terms of, like, you are valuable. like Because mm. there are other ways of communicating value that aren't just yeah. price. So Yeah, yeah. Internally, um, in a large organisation, there are kind of two ways that you can see people broadly, Mm. really broadly, and that is like as someone who has something important to do or a resource. Yes. And people who are a resource aren't very valuable in their time and you can just ask them to do stuff because that's what they're there for. And people who are doing something important their time is important so it's you have to take more care and you think about the thing do I really need to ask this person this thing mm-hmm. is that something I should ask and and that's about the perception of value even though there's no price involved in that because yep. there's no market inside a company for people's yep. time etc but that perception of value changes the way people think about your time
1: yeah yeah I mean you're I think that's Definitely, charge a higher price, less likely to get dragged into pointless meetings. Mm, Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Because they know that they're paying you to sit there and, like, stare into space and wish that Harold from accounts would stop talking. Also, they think
3: Um, your work is more important. mm, So that time with the meeting is time Mm. you're not doing that work. Yes. Which is, Mm -hmm. as you've already communicated to them through your price, valuable.
1: Yeah. Yeah. like this. I like this a lot. It's coming into my head about, you know, this is... And we love boundaries, (laughs) but this is about setting those boundaries and kind of, you know, it's very much a sort of signalling of boundaries, exercise, Mm. and what you are are not willing to include in certain things, do in certain ways. Like, yeah, it's not just about the value, it's about showing that line that, Mm. you know, this is where I am, you're going to have to come and meet me towards this at some point.
3: Yeah, ideally. Mm. And, yeah, it's all about signalling and telling people, like, Yes, setting boundaries, as you said, Mm. but like not necessarily verbally.
2: I was having a conversation about this recently about not just setting that price, but the fear that you can have of not living up to the price once you've set it.
3: It's terrifying.
2: Yeah. Mm. And I think there are, that's another reason why people are afraid of setting a relatively high price because they're afraid of then not providing the level of value. And it it's linked to the imposter syndrome thing, but it's not mm. quite mm. the same thing. Yep. And especially if you are a freelancer or a startup and you don't have a lot of sort of smooth processes <laughs> to give people a slick experience of what you do, yeah, or your self-perception is, not, is a bit rough and ready and casual mm-hmm. and fun and you don't have that, like I said, just that kind of slick customer experience that people are going to get from you. But I think that is something that you can overcome by actually then set that higher price and then live up to it. Like set it as a challenge to yourself to then operate at that level.
3: I think there's something else to add to that, which is that I guess a lot of people kind of treat customers as like, I don't know. I I say, a lot of people, that's a massive overgeneralization. (laughs) That's not true at all. But, like, when you come from from a non-experienced background, like a customer is just, like, a person who buys, like, it's quite a transactional relationship. But it really shouldn't be that much of a transactional relationship. Like, they're a partner in your work. And what they give you has a lot of, you know, helps predict kind of the quality of your work and the quality of that relationship is going to help predict the quality of that work. And one of the things, I guess, like, aside from pricing, Mm. is like picking good customers and being not being scared to say no to people because mm. they're the wrong person to work with for whatever mm. reason that is which might be things that you value that aren't money they might be like ethical considerations or mm. um you know time flexibility considerations or um or even just like you know communication style things like they mm. want you to come into a meeting every week to talk about stuff to catch up and that's not your thing. You want to go traveling while you do the work. You're doing it remotely anyway. Why should you have to be stuck to a location? Maybe they're the wrong customer for you.
2: So let's go on to our last question then, which I think is just it's such a big one within this world, which is what do you do when you have to raise your price? If you recognize that you quoted low, you've got existing and ongoing customers and you need to ask for more. It's um, a really hard one, isn't it? No one likes do
3: do? to ask for more. No. So like any of these questions, I guess it comes with, ideally, with having made some decisions and actions prior to the selling phase because you want to be working with someone that values your time and mm. can you can have that kind of conversation with, that's on the table. If it's not, then are the right people to work with, et cetera. Obviously, something to consider is like, A lot of this and your ability to pick and choose is based on the availability of work because we need to eat and Mm -hmm. live, etc. And sometimes you do need to work for people who are not so great uh, because you haven't found the right customers or whatever, etc. But generally, like in an ideal situation, like that discussions on the table because they're invested in your well-being because your well-being is about delivering value to them. And if it gets to the point whereby you know, you're suffering and that suffering will cause you know, a poorer working relationship with them, then they should be investing in you and asking for more money makes a lot of sense there because really that's the whole purpose. And maybe it's not just about like charging them more, but it's about growing your own personal business, which they can be involved in. And um, it might help you get other customers, which ideally these customers you're working with aren't too attached to, that will pay you more and help you support and will eventually allow you to do that person better work. And if they're not willing to have that conversation, like it it's the same as the company that my partner was working for, if they weren't willing to to pay more, then maybe they're not the right company.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that there are factors that you can look at though, because if you find yourself in this situation, it's not just a matter of sitting down and going, I want more money. There's There's things that you can prepare to right. go with. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. if the, it's just a creepy feeling or, you know, I'm disappointed that I didn't or now I see that somebody else has been... You know, like, right, look for who else is being paid more, how are other people being treated there? What is it that you've... You know, it's sometimes you need... To, you may have an inkling from quite early on, but give leave it a couple of months and then start, you know, writing down the things that you've achieved that make you think that actually you've done better than that.
3: So I guess, like... To get tactical as opposed to like talking about generalizations. Mm-hmm. I mean, ultimately, it's about how you communicate with that group, individual or whatever. And I can only point people in the direction of nonviolent communication and basically like, you know, centering yourself and kind of preparing yourself in a way to have a conversation that is going to be quite difficult. Um, definitely planning what it is you want to talk about. Try and understand how you feel. Maybe even write that down. Like, what do you want Why do you want those things? And then ultimately, what do you want your partner in business to do for you that's going to help you achieve those things? And then when you organize that meeting, you know, set expectations with them and say, like, I'd like to have a discussion, an adult discussion, about a working relationship. Do you have some time to talk? They might come in and sit down and you can say, so, um," and talk about your feelings. Like, it's the focus of nonviolent communication is to avoid putting anything on other people, judgments on them and to really communicate to them like, how are you feeling? I don't know, maybe you feel undervalued. Maybe you feel but the problem with that is you're you're mm, actually still pointing them. at them. Yeah. You're mm-hmm. saying like you're undervaluing me. Yeah, because so.
1: in nonviolent communication it's like yeah, there's yeah. actually quite a set list of emotions. And Precisely. then the other things are I think.
3: Precisely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so exactly. it's like
1: I feel frustrated because I think I'm undervalued Yes, that's the way it works and because it's your perception of the situation whereas like the emotion is frustration and I think it's because of this thing
3: precisely yeah Yeah. without projecting on them Mm -hmm. and then leading on from that kind of setting the context to say like why and not necessarily in an accusational way but just like maybe I see other people getting paid more or I feel like my time is more valuable to this or, or I need it to be able to go and do the thing I want to do with my life and like kind of giving people a why, a mission as to why you being paid more is an important thing. And then actually, and actually leaving them the space to kind of make the suggestion, not necessarily jumping in straight away and being like, pay me more money. Mm-hmm. Instead mm-hmm. of being like, so we're partners – we're in this working relationship. This is what I want to achieve. Is there anything you can do to help me to do that? And then they can be like, yeah, sure. I want to build this piece of furniture with you and, you know, Mm -hmm. be a part of it. It's called the Ikea effect, I guess. But like people like the furniture they built more than the furniture they bought because they're invested in it. So Mm -hmm. let your partners be invested in you. And then still having to ask. So at the end of the kind of conversation, you've, you've laid out where you are, you've laid out where you want to be. They've ideally provided some context about where they are, maybe what they need. Maybe what they perceive would need to change for those things. And then the question you can ask is, well, I think I need and obviously you want to be specific, but I need n hundreds or thousands of more pounds to do this thing. What can we do? Not necessarily in a like pay me, but like how can we achieve this together?
1: I like the
2: how can we achieve this together? While you were talking, I was thinking about actually asking them to give you feedback on their perception of your value.
3: Mm,
2: Yeah. To get them to be really bought into the idea of you being valuable. Yeah, absolutely. I've got a list of the values I think I've provided for you, but I'd be really interested to hear your perception of the value of what I've provided so far. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I
1: like the leading question. Just tell me the good bits as well. (laughs) Oh, yeah, totally. Keep them on track.
2: Totally, totally.
3: I mean, ultimately, it's a sales conversation. Mm, So yeah, mm. you probably do want to keep it on the the positive track.
1: (laughs)
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so it also, if they then do come back and blindside you a little bit with something that's not so positive, you've got the opportunity to to address it when maybe you didn't know about it. Mm, And then you can address that and and maybe come back with a kind of something along the lines of, okay, so it sounds like one of the reasons why I'm being paid as I am, as opposed to being paid more than I am, Mm. is because there is this area where I'm not meeting your expectations or your needs yeah. and I can then increase that value. If I increase that value to you and we fix this, what will that bring
3: yeah, yeah. me? Or, or And sometimes you yeah. to be flexible in the other way. So, yeah. okay, you feel you're kind of undervalued. Are there any things that you can do that don't involve eating more into budget that mm. would be good for you? So maybe you mm-hmm. value your time a lot. So maybe reducing the amount of work that you do and the scope that you do mm. would be equally okay. So if they can't afford to pay you more, yeah. maybe they can just... Use you less mm. and and pay yep. the same value for your time. It's just you do less of that work, which frees you up to go and find people who can't afford you.
2: Mm. Yes, I'm not as familiar with it as you two obviously are. I'm not familiar with uh, nonviolent communication. Yeah. Definitely, we will put links to that in the show notes mm. from today because I think that's really useful. Jasper, it's been super interesting talking to you. Hopefully. This has been useful for our listeners.
1: Certainly, I've got a lot out of it. Alex? Yeah, it's been good. Yeah. Good to talk about myself <laughs> and my sneakers. <laughs>
3: it's a really difficult. I'm
1: just stuff. thinking how much do my trainers cost now. <laughs> and on that note, thank you all. <laughs> Thanks. You've been listening to Squanderlust, a podcast about the emotional side of money. Your hosts were Martha Lawton and Alex Lemon. You can find us online at squanderlustpod.com, where we'll put links to show notes, books and articles we mention, and other interesting things. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover or you have a story to tell about something you've heard here, get in touch through the website. If
2: you enjoyed Squanderlust, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts and rate us too. The more stars you give the happier we get. And don't forget to tell your friends about us. Squanderlust is sponsored by Wardour Studios in Fitzrovia, London, with production by David Smith, Charlie Brandon King, Tom Berry and Alicia Cunningham. Our theme music is by Wardour Studios and graphic design by Jason Reed. Thanks for listening.